Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. So we're continuing uh, today the discussion we started last week where we began a discussion of the fundamental question, why do we study the Bible? Now last week in our opening, a number of you provided a lot of good comments on this and uh, I'll incorporate some of those in the message as we go. Already have, by the way, if you were listening. Now, I pointed out last week that we can look to the word itself for answers to this basic question that is so fundamental to us as Christian believers. That is, why do we study the word of God in the Bible? And last week, we looked at the fact that the scripture in the Bible is the revealed word of God and is, in fact, God speaking to us today. This can't be understated. It is the revealed word of God. Now, this is shown in 2 Timothy, <coughs> <excuse me. coughs> 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 26. <coughs> and I do want you to go there. Because this is, this is so fundamental to our Christian faith why we study the Bible, why we attempt to know, learn, understand, and apply the word to our life. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 26 says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And this is amplified in 2 Peter, and I want you to go to this one as well. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20. This is by way of review last week. Some of you were not here last week, so we're going to do a quick review. But 2 Peter chapter 1, Verses 20 and 21. You have it? Say, I have it. It says this, verse 20. Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit breathed into, onto, the men who were writing the scripture and their outpouring was what had been dictated to them by the Holy Spirit. This is very important. Now, in the days of the Old Testament, you recall God spoke frequently through the prophets of the day. But today, God basically speaks to us it's not that we don't have prophets here and there, but today God basically speaks to each of us through his word. And you have that word right in your hand. What you need to know from God, you already have in your hand. And the problem is that most of us have it at home, on the shelf, in our hand, 
but we don't know what's inside the book. And some of us don't fully understand uh, the critical things that are inside the book that are so critical to the victorious overcoming life that we talk about. Now, David tells us this in Psalm 138, verse 2, and I want you to go there as well. Because you need to know where these first four scriptures that we're going to go to in particular, you need to know where they are uh, because this is your foundation for the reason you study the Bible, the reason you believe in the Bible, the reason the Bible shapes what we believe, the reason we carve out doctrine, the tenets of the church out of the Bible. So in Psalm 138, uh, verse 2, David writes, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. Now he's talking about God. God has magnified his word above his name. That's how important God's word is to him. It certainly should be important to us. Now Jesus asserts the supremacy of the word when he says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 25. Matthew 24, verse 35. And you've heard this before. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now what this means is that when everything is finished, when the earth is gone, the universe is gone, God's word remains. And it remains because it is eternal and everlasting. And what God is telling us through his word is to hitch our stars to his word because they are eternal and everlasting. This is why we study the word in the Bible. Now we see the importance and power of the word expressed in Hebrews 4.12. This is the fourth scripture that I want you to jot down and become familiar with. Hebrews 4.12, you have it? It says this, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, as I said last week, I could spend an entire lesson on this one scripture and then some. But I, what I extracted last week, and I want to emphasize that again today, is the very first description of the word. Uh, and that is, it is living. The word of God is living. It's alive. And when Apostle Price says the word is pregnant, he means that it is constantly giving birth. It's constantly giving birth to more revelation, more illumination, and in terms of practical use, it's giving us more application. And that's why you see different teachers stand here in other pulpits on television and use the same scripture and have so many different applications for that scripture because the word is living, it's alive, and it speaks to, mo to so many, so many situations. Now, the point that is important and I want to emphasize to you again is that you can be studying the word 
and you may be in the midst of some challenge, some hardship, some struggle, and all of a sudden something literally, as you would say, jumps off the page at you. That little light bulb goes off and you say, now I get it. This applies to me. This is what I need to know. That's the living word of God through the Holy Spirit, by the way, speaking to you and speaking to your circumstances and your situation. It is that voice that's saying, this is the way to go. Walk ye in it. Go this way. Go this way. So forth. And that's basically how God speaks to us today. You can't expect, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, that voice over your shoulder to speak. That can happen, and it has happened, and it does happen. But you can be sure that if you study the word and get into the word, God will literally speak to you. He speaks to you through his word, and that is the function of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as Elder Nate was teaching in discipleship training this morning, which a number of you were there, the Holy Spirit is there to guide us into all knowledge, to teach us all things, and to give us understanding of the word. Very important, the function of the Holy Spirit. Now, we as teachers can help in terms of assisting you in connecting Scripture the way they should be connected. But it's the Holy Spirit who's the teacher. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, All Scripture is given by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And last week I lifted the first one, is profitable for doctrine, and pointed out that that is exactly where we get our doctrine. Our doctrine is our statement of faith. It is what we stand for as a ministry. It is what we teach. And that doctrine comes from the word of God. The word is profitable for doctrine. And I took our statement of faith. You have it right. Uh, it's on the back of your bulletin. Take a quick look at it now. We're not going to go over it again today. And I went down each of those 12 points that's listed in our statement of faith and took you to scriptures in the Bible from which these statements, these tenets of faith were drawn. In other words, what we stand for, what we teach, what we believe, and what we stake our life on is all drawn from the Word of God. That's what's important about the fact that the Word of God is the inspired Word of God coming directly from God. Now, that's the reason, basically, in terms of foundation purposes that we study the Word. Now, we also study God's word in the Bible because he commands us to do so. And you see Jesus uttering this command in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Where he says this, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, we're not to live by bread alone, but to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You can't live by every word if you don't know what the words are. The words are in the Bible. They're in your mouth, in your hand, in your lap, on your coffee table, on your bedroom nightstand, and so forth. You just have to 
open the book and look at it from time to time. Say as in Ellen H said, at least 20 to 30 minutes a day. I'd give more time to that if you could because it's so important. It's a matter of life. Now, uh, when Jesus says, as I pointed out last week, it is written, it means that it's to be found where it's written. And the only thing that Jesus would know that was written is what was in the Old Testament. So whenever you find any spot where it says it is written, you can bet your life that it's somewhere in the Old Testament. And you don't have to go there, but this particular verse is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where the plight of the Israelites leaving Egypt is being discussed. And I'll read it uh, to you here if, you don't, if you're not there. Deuteronomy 8, 3 says this, and he, meaning God, humbled you. He means the Jews in the wilderness and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Every word leaves out nothing. So it means that we do have some studying to do. Now, we have already established that the word that proceeds from the mouth of God is contained in the Bible that we all have. So to find these words from God to live by, we must study and search the scripture, as I said last week. That's why in 2 Timothy 2.15, 2 Timothy 2.15, 2 Timothy 2.15, right back there before you get to Hebrews. Here, Apostle Paul says to us, that's 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the words of God, the word of God. The need to study the word leads us to the fourth reason God says we need to know his word, and that is to help avert destruction. That's destruction in our life. And you know this scripture, very familiar. We went to it last week. Hosea 4.6. Hosea 4.6. God says, and this is God speaking, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This is knowledge of his word. So, if you want to avert destruction, it behooves you to study and know God's word. So God is telling us in clear language that to avoid being destroyed, we need to have knowledge of him. And that knowledge is gained through him, about him, through his revealed word. Now, avoided destruction should be an incentive to all of us. Now, as I said last week, our function as teachers of God's word is to help you find and analyze the scriptures and connect scriptures with other scriptures. This helps give overall meaning to what you are studying and to the knowledge that you are gaining. The teacher helps you in this sense. We help you at Bible studies. We help you on Sunday morning. And we help you when you listen to the CDs and DVDs that you purchase of the messages that are taught. In 2 Timothy 2, 15, you, re you remember, it talks about rightly dividing the word. Dividing the word. And I pointed out last week that dividing the word simply means to study, analyze, and teach the word correctly. It doesn't mean to cut up the Bible. And there are some, 
When I say cut up, I mean separated in sections. Because there are, if you go, if you look this up, do some research, you will find that there are some churches that teach that, right, that teach that rightly divided word means to rightly separate the Old Testament from the New Testament. So that's not what we're talking about. It means really simply understanding, teaching the word correctly. Now, there's an example that uh, you may see and may have seen. I see it from time to time, and I pick it up and read it from time to time. I'm going to give it to you this morning that shows and illustrates this prospect, not, not this prospect, but this aspect of rightly dividing the word. Uh, now, this example is actually a joke, but it's taken from real scriptures. This is a case where the teacher takes you to Matthew 27, 5, and I want you to go there because I want you to see this. Matthew 27, 5, where it says this, and it's referring to Judas. It says, and he, meaning Judas, went and hanged himself. The teacher proceeds to connect this with Luke 10, 37. Take a, a look at Luke 10, 37. And they may get it up on the board, I don't know. Luke 10, 37. Where Jesus says, go and do likewise. And the teacher adds another expression from Jesus. He adds this other expression from Jesus, which is in John 13, 27, where Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. <laughs> so the message becomes this. Judas went and hanged himself. You go and do likewise. And what you do, do quickly. Now, these are all actual scriptures, but this is not rightly dividing the word of God. Now, if you're going to a teacher, a pastor who teaches incorrectly, you can get into trouble. Now, I don't have time this morning, I'm not going to get into this, but uh, teachers take scriptures and construe them in all kinds of ways, sometimes to benefit them, sometimes to prove that they are interpreting the scripture in a certain way, and so forth. But Apostle always tells us, go and check it out for yourself. You need to check it out for yourself. So that's an example of actual words in the Bible being wrongly connected and wrongly divided. So again, the fourth reason we study the word, because we need to have knowledge to avoid the destruction that God talks about in Hosea 4, 6. But we need to have knowledge of God's word that is correct and rightly divided. So I connect Hosea 4, 6 to Romans 15, 4. 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Romans 15.4. Can you go there if you can get there? Romans 15.4. It says this. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scripture, might have hope. We see here that the word in the Bible that was written was written for us to learn. That's why I connect it to 4.6. What's the way, I mean, what's the best way to combat lack of knowledge? Learning. So we connect Hosea 4.6 to Romans 15.4. The scriptures were written for us to learn to eliminate our lack of knowledge. Our God is a God of patience and comfort, and he wants the believer to always have hope. That's what that scripture tells us, that through the patience and hope, I mean, through the patience and comfort of the scripture, we might have hope. It is to equip us with the words 
that lead us to more patience and comfort, whereby we gain the hope that we certainly need. As teachers here, we can help you with, the, with your study, but you have to remember that the Holy Spirit is our real teacher, and Elder Nate touched on this very well this morning. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He was given us by God to help direct us and guide us into all truth, to tell us all things, and to bring to remembrance the things that we, he was talking to the disciples there, whatever plastic, the things that we may have forgotten. The Holy Spirit is, is there. And uh, this morning, Ellen Nate, and in fact, I want you to go to that scripture, uh, first, first Corinthians chapter 2. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 because you, you need to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to look at uh, verses, verse 9 there. Now, the Holy Spirit is so important in terms of helping us to understand the Word of God. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. And again, Ellen 8 went over this this morning. In verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, chapter 2, it says this, and this is something that we hear, we love this. It says, I has not seen nor ear heard what has entered into the heart of man, the things, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for him, uh, pre prepared for those who love him. In other words, the things that God has pre prepared for us from the foundation of the world. It says, Eye has not seen it, the ear has not heard it, and it hasn't entered into our heart. And you hear so many teachers teach this lesson, but they stop right there in verse 9. But the important one in the connection, in terms of connecting the scriptures, is in that very next verse. It's verse 10. It says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and it hasn't entered into the heart the things that God has prepared for us, these things that he gives in his word in the Bible. But 10 says, but God has revealed them to us. How? Through his spirit. That's the importance of the Holy Spirit in terms of helping us to understand and connect the scriptures in a proper way. Now, uh, Jesus tells us, as I said, of the coming of the Holy Spirit in several scriptures. And Elder Nate went over several of those this morning. I'm just going to have you turn to one. That's the Gospel of John. Chapter 16, verse 13. 1613. Here Jesus says, 1613, are you there? He says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, with this introduction of truth, I'm going to give you an example of properly connecting scriptures that have to deal with truth. We're not going to cover all of them, but we'll cover three or four of them. So this has to do with rightly dividing the word. Uh, so we connect John 16, 13, which speaks of the Holy Spirit leading us to all truth, uh, to John. And these are all going to be in the Gospel of John, so you're right there. Go to John's 8, 31 and 32, where Jesus is talking about truth and the word. John Chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Are you there? Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my words, 
You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So here we see that knowing, living in, taking a residence in the word is what makes us free. So at this point, we need to know. I mean, you, you shall know the truth, I mean, and the truth will make you free. So the question arises, what is truth? Well, this answer, I mean, this question is dealt with in the Bible. And let me ask you this. Who in the Bible asked this age-old question? Who, Elanate? Elanate says Pilate. Pontius Pilate. He's right. That's the age-old question that philosophers, religious people, thinkers have dealt with down through the ages. What is truth? Well, go to the Gospel of John. You're right there. Go up to uh, chapter 18 and look at verses 37 and 38. You're right there in John. You're now at John 18, verses 37 and 38. Here we find Jesus in the custody of Pilate. Remember, he's been arrested. Judas has turned him in, and he's now under arrest. And in verse 37, Pilate speaks to Jesus. Verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, to Jesus, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. This is, you say rightly I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? He asked that question. Now, if you read further, you will notice that Jesus doesn't answer him there. But this is why connecting the scriptures is so important. He does give the answer, and he does give the answer in the Gospel of John. Drop down to John chapter 17. You're right there, John 17, 17. Some scriptures you should, you should actually almost memorize. 17, 17 is definitely one. John 10, 10 that we went over this morning in, in discipleship training. John 17, 17, here is where you get the definition of truth. Here Jesus is praying to God the Father for his disciples. And he says this, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God's word is truth. So we learn here from Jesus that God's word is truth. And that's why Jesus can say to the disciples in John 8, 31, which we looked at earlier in 32, if you abide in my words, his words are God's words, remember. You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In other words, if you know the word, you know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The word is synonymous with truth. By the way, you should know that the word is also synonymous with faith. Now, as you can see, and this is what I want you to zero in on, as you can see, everything dealing with the truth that we just discussed, those three or four points, everything is found in the Gospel of John. But look at the sequence of the scriptures. We began with John 16, 13. Then we backed up and went to John 8, 31, 32. Then we went back up to John 18, 37, 38. And then we went back down again to John 17, 17. You don't find this information on the truth in one continuous narrative. And this is what gets people into trouble 
trying to study the Bible, they say it doesn't make sense. I mean, it, do, it doesn't follow sequentially and so forth. This is where rightly dividing the truth and the word comes into play. And this is why you need the help of the Holy Spirit and whatever help we as teachers can give the Holy Spirit in assisting you. So up, back, up, back. You don't find this information on the truth in one continuous narrative in the word, one sequential narrative. Again, Holy Spirit helps you connect them, helps you to rightly divide the word of God and helps you to find uh, the word of God. And we teachers help you find them. And I think uh, we haven't done one of these here in some time. In fact, I don't remember. We probably need to have a, a Bible study on how to study the Bible. How many would be interested in that? How you actually study the Bible and, and so forth. Well, I'm going to I'm going to take and This just came to me. I just uh, you have your Bible with you. Those who have your Bible. Uh, go back to the end, the concordance. And we just dealt with truth. And let's see what it says in the concordance about truth. When I say what it says, what scriptures it lists. Okay, I'm in the concordance of uh, this little ever-increasing faith Bible. The print is so small I can hardly see it. Under truth, it lists a lot of scriptures starting at Genesis 24, uh, 48. But now I'm looking. Okay, I see one of the scriptures we just went to, John 8, 32. It's almost the middle of my listing of the scriptures. It gives 8, 32, and we just went to 8.32, where Jesus talks about abiding in my word, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And it also gives us John 18.38. That's Pilate asking, what is truth? Now, I don't see the other scriptures, but you see about eight scriptures on truth. So what I'm getting at is this. If you're pondering on something or studying some particular aspect of the Bible, one way to start is look in your concordance. If you're studying sin, it has a whole lot of scriptures on sin. It has all those scriptures on truth. So that's just one way. But I think we will do a course uh, uh, sometime later on how to study the word. There are so many tools that you can use to help you study the word. Now, uh, but it says, Jesus said, it says, if you abide in my word, and we all know what abide means. It means to live in, move into, take a residence, stay a while. It's not an overnight experience. You've got to live in the word. And by living in the word, that word will make you free. Now, God commands us to learn his word because he wants us to be free and wants us to avoid being destroyed by a lack of knowledge. Again, as teachers of the word, we are here to assist the Holy Spirit in helping guide you in your study, to help you rightly divide the word. Now, when scriptures are connected properly, you get the full thrust of their power and influence, and then they can impact your life. Now, let's make another quick connection. And I think you started with this scripture this morning, Elodie. Go to Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4, chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 20, 22. And this is a very familiar scripture. I think you started with this this morning. Uh, 
Proverbs 4, 20, 22. This is where God says in verse 20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. 21, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of you or your heart. Why? For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Now here, health literally means medicine. They're life to those who find them and medicine to all their flesh. Now he tells us here that life, that the words are life to those who find them and medicine to all their flesh. When God says to those who find them, he is saying that you have to search the scriptures. You have to study. You have to listen. And you have to work at studying the word diligently to find those words that are life. So to make a quick connection, I connect Proverbs 4.20, verses 20 to 22, to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 15, 16, and you've heard this one before. I know I've used it before, but it's not one that you hear all the time. Jeremiah 15, 16, and you can go there. Jeremiah 15, 16, God says, they are life to those who find them, implying that we have to look for them. We have to search for them. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, your words were found, and he did what? I ate them. And I like the rest of that uh, scripture. It says, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my life. When you find the words that connect, (laughs) they will be joyful and you will rejoice. Believe me. The joy and rejoicing of my life. So what Jeremiah is saying here is that when you find those words, you ingest them. You get them down into your system. You get them down and you live with them. And you, when you ingest something, you ingest it by several ways. You either swallow or you absorb it. You swallow the word and or you absorb the word, but you get it into your very being. So the word becomes second nature to you. So when you are challenged, then you can pull down a scripture that will serve as a weapon to help fight your battles here. We'll we'll get to this a little bit later. Now, there's so many connections of Scripture. I'm going to give you one more in this lesson today, and that is one that you already know. It's Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is talking about putting on the whole armor of God. And I want you to look at uh, Ephesians 6.17. Here, The word says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What's being given to us here is our weapon to fight with. Sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And some say it's our offensive weapon. I say it's our offensive and defensive weapon that we fight with. It's the only weapon that we're actually ever given In the Bible, it is the Word of God. Now, to give you an example of connecting this to show how this used, go to Luke 4. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. And I've gone over this with you before in another teaching. Again, this is the multiple application of this. But, and I want you all to go to Luke 
chapter 4. And we're going to go over these scriptures 1 through 13. Because here Jesus shows us how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, as a weapon to fend off the attacks of the enemy. That enemy being the, de the, the devil, which you see right here. So in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Verse 2, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they ended, he was hungry. We're hungry after four hours. <laughs> it was 40 days. <laughs> I see somebody saying after four minutes. <laughs> Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. How did Jesus answer? Look in verse 4. And Jesus answered him saying, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And we know that's in the Old Testament. We just went over that. Deuteronomy 8.3. Verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And verse 6. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give, give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Who delivered it to him? Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> Verse 7, the devil is talking. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus answers in verse 8. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you shall serve. Verse 9, Then he, meaning the devil, brought Jesus, him, Jesus, to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, and this is the devil quoting scripture, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Before I go further, now if the devil knows scripture, you certainly have to know scripture. Where, where is this taken from? From where? From where? Well, a lot of you said it. It's from the 91st Psalm. Right, okay. The, de the devil knew it and he, he quoted it correctly. In verse 12, Jesus answers. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Verse 13, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, which means there probably were a lot more, he departed from him until an opportune time. So we see here how Jesus used the word of God to answer and defeat the devil. Notice that he didn't summon a legion of angels to come down and fight the devil. He didn't ask for a bolt of light, lightning from heaven to strike the devil. He used the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he's giving us an example of how we do the same thing. Now notice in verse 13, it says that the devil departed until an opportune time. The reason we need to know the words so we can arm the sword of the spirit when we use it is because the devil is always looking for an opportune time in our life. Always. And being the weak humans that we are, we give him opportune times at every opportunity. <laughs> so... For example, you give the devil opportune time when you are 
and worry, when you're fearful, when you doubt, when you speak unbelief. In other words, you may have the word, but you're saying, well, you know what? I know that by stripes I'm healed, but this is third, this is stage three cancer. This is different. No. Any illness and so forth. So you're expressing doubt and so forth. And of course, you give place to the devil when you're ignorant of the word completely. That's why God says we're destroyed uh, for lack of knowledge, knowledge of his word. And we give him opportunity when it comes to attacking our body by smoking, excessive drinking, poor eating habits, not getting enough rest, not drinking enough fresh water. Those are some simple things that we give him an opportunity to attack our body. There's no end to the opportune times we humans can come up with. So we need to have the sword of the spirit to fight the challenges that come in our life. So here are some examples. We overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But our testimony has to line up with God's testimony to be an effective weapon. Here are some quick examples. If attacked by an illness, we were just talking about your weaponized word, and this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about weaponizing the word of God as your offense or defense. If you're attacked by an illness, your weaponized, your weaponized word, and these were cited this morning, 1 Peter 2.24 and Isaiah 53.5, which say, by his stripes you were and you are healed. That, that's, that's, that's your weapon, the sword of the spirit. Two, if fear grips you, your weaponized weapon is the word in Psalm 56.3. 56.3. Psalm 56.3 says this, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Trust in God. Trust in your word. Or Psalm 27.1. The light, God is my light and salvation. Psalm 27.1, which says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And Luke 10, 19, write these down because these can be helpful. Luke 10, 19, which says, I give you, this is God through Jesus, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So in other words, you've been given authority over all the power of the enemy, but you just have to know that. So, so he can't hurt you, can't hurt you, if you know that he can't hurt you. Now, if financial lack is a challenge, your weaponized word is one that we all know and we quote all the time. We don't always apply it. It's Philippians 4.19. My God supplies every need of mine according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And there's so many on finance, but that's the only one I'll give you this morning. And four, if you face a multitude of challenges at once, and we all Know this, when it rains, it pours. It's not that just this comes and that comes, but they all come at one time. Then your weaponized word can be this, Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things, that's all these things that are coming at me right now, I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. In other words, you are already victorious over all of them. Why? Psalm 8, he's put everything uh, beneath your feet. You can just step on them and then just go on your way. It's all put before your feet. And another one is Rome, Romans 8.31. Write this down. Romans 8.31. Which says, 
What then shall I say to these things, all these things coming at me? If God be for us, who can be against us? You just have to know that God is for us. Now, those are just a few examples. There's so many. And that's a whole other series of lessons by itself. But it's important for us to know that as we use the word of God as our weapon of offense or defense, you can do so with the assurance that God backs up his word. That's the other thing. God backs up his word. And we get this assurance in Isaiah 55, 11. Write the scripture down and go to it if you have time. I'm not sure what that says. Oh, okay. <laughs> Isaiah 55, 11. I'm talking about God backing up his word. God says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So if he's sending, if you were inviting the word to help in your health challenge or in your financial challenge, and that's the word that is sent for, it will prosper in the things for which I sent it. It's good to know that. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. Write it down. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. This is God speaking. I am ready to perform my word. He's ready. Are you ready? In other words, you feed back to him his word and he'll perform it. So on. And Jesus says, us, says to us and reminds us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 37. He says that Matthew 12, verse 37, he says that in the day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you'll, you'll be condemned. Now, if you carefully line up uh, your words with the word of God, you will have less trouble in life and you will be justified in the last day, the day of judgment. Now, let me read you. This will be the final thing as I'm looking at the uh, clock ticking away. Apostle Price puts it this way. What makes God powerful, I mean, what makes God's powerful words work is not for us to talk or confess the negative circumstances. That is what we see, what we feel, and what we are experiencing, you know, like the pain uh, or the lack. But rather confess God's remedy. God's remedy are those words, those weapons that we're talking about. God's cure for the situation. Confessing God's word over the situation is what changes the situation. And that is what faith is all about. You see, faith and the word are interchangeable. When you say you have faith, you are saying you believe God's word. When you act in faith on the word, you are acting as if the word is true. And we'll pick up from here next week. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.